As we prepare to hear God's word, let's pray for him to bless both the preaching and the receiving of his message to us today. Let's pray. Father, it would be easy, maybe easiest for us, not to really listen to you today. It would be easy for us to just get on with our lives and do what we want to do. And yet, Lord, we know, on some level, we know that that is not what is best for us. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to really hear, to listen, to receive what you have to say, and so to be open to your transforming work. Lord, we pray that you convict us where we need to be convicted. Speak into our hearts. And Lord, we pray too that you leave us not in in the darkness of condemnation, but that you shine on us the light of Jesus Christ and that you bring to us the comfort and the power of the Holy Spirit to transform us, to make us healthy and whole, to bring us to real life. And Lord, we are audacious enough to pray for that even in this, this hour. We pray all this in the promise of your word, in the power of your spirit. Amen. So as I mentioned at the beginning of the service, we're, we're going to be working with themes of identity and kingdom in, in the sermons over the next few months in some different ways. And right now we're in a sermon series entitled, I Am Not My Own, and we're focusing on the prologue to the Ten Commandments, to God's law. So we're looking in Deuteronomy 5 at what God has to say to his people before he lists out the specific Ten Commandments. And then we're, we're pulling in texts about the law from the New Testament to help us open up those texts in Deuteronomy 5. And as many of you have probably figured out, the I am not my own there comes from one of the key documents of our church, from the Heidelberg Catechism that begins with, with asking what our only comfort is and responding that I am not my own but belong to my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There's actually another source for, for that particular phrasing and for this sermon series, and that's a book called I Am Not My Own. It's by Alan Noble. It doesn't really directly translate into what we're working with, but there's a lot of good themes there thinking about our identity and, and how we live as Christ followers in this world. So if you want to read a book that goes kind of along with the sermon series, Google I Am Not My Own, and I think you will be able to find it. So this morning we're going to read just one verse from Deuteronomy 5, and then we're going to pick up several verses from Romans 7 and reflect on the theme of the law. And if you didn't get enough this morning, you can come back this evening. We're going to continue a series we started last week on 1 John, and a number of the themes are going to overlap. So you're invited to come back at 6 tonight to continue this conversation if you feel so led. But now Deuteronomy 5. Chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 1. The words will be on the screen for both these texts, or you can follow along with the Bibles in your benches. Hear now the word of the Lord. Moses summoned all Israel and said, Hear, O Israel, the decrees and laws I declare in your hearing today. Learn them and be sure to follow them. And then we're going to turn over to Romans chapter 7. We're going to read from verse 14 to verse 25. We know that the the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do I do not do, but what I hate I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. 
For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. This is the word of the Lord. So we're going to set the stage this morning by talking about exploding fish and fragmenting humanity. Exploding fish and fragmenting humanity. Last week we talked about elephants. This week we're going to talk about fish. So if we go way, way, way down to the very depths of the ocean, there are some, there are some fish that live there. And some would say they're adapted, but I would say they are designed in certain ways to live there. Some of them, well, let me back up a little bit. There is massive incredible water pressure at the bottom of the ocean. If any of us were there, we would be crushed instantly. It is unbearable for most living beings. But there are some fish who are designed in such a way that they can function in that high, high pressure environment. Some of them have a special organ called, I think, a sea bladder that that lets them regulate their internal pressure. So as the external pressure squeezes on them, they're able to push back with that one particular organ. And there's actually some fish that in every single one of their cells, there's, there's some particular mechanisms that we don't exactly have that enable them to hold pressure even with all the weight of the whole ocean pushing down on them. So they're able to, to keep pressure out to match the pressure in. And now I have a, a question for you to reflect on. You don't need to answer out loud. This is a little bit of a rhetorical question. But what do you think happens to those fish when you bring them up from the depths of the ocean? So if you're in a situation where there's all this pressure pushing in and they've been designed to match that with pressure pushing out, what's going to happen if you bring them up to the top of the ocean where there is no pressure pushing in? And some of these fish actually literally explode, like their their swim bladders or whatever, overinflate, they can't control it, and they burst. And others of them, and if you want a picture of this, Google blobfish. Blobfish, later today, not right now, Later today, and you can see some really interesting pictures of a fish that, that didn't explode, but every cell in its body basically burst because they were all designed to withstand that pressure of the depths, and they just go, and they go from being an interesting-looking fish to just kind of a blob of jelly. If you, if you take these fish and you bring them into an environment that doesn't fit, that isn't, isn't in congruence with who they are, then they explode or blow apart, or, or just turn into big blobs. The internal realities of the fish have to be calibrated to external reality. And if those things get out of whack, they die. And those fish are us. We are designed to live in a certain way. We're designed to live in certain circumstances. We're, we're designed to, to, within ourselves, have certain capabilities. And in the world today, none of that holds true. 
in the world today, either because of external circumstances or because of, of, because of how we're broken by sin, we blow up. We fall apart. We turn into emotional, mental, spiritual blobs. And this goes all the way back to when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. Ever since then, we humans have been miscalibrated to our environment, and so, and so we see all the wreckage that we see in the world and in our lives and in ourselves. In our particular time and place, every time and place has its own struggles, but our particular time and place has a particular, maybe more significant struggle with this because we really think. We really believe in our heart of hearts, and this may not be true of all of us, but I think it is, we really believe in our heart of hearts that we can do what we want. And we can be who we want to be. And you do you, and I do me, and nobody better tell me how to live my life because what business is it of yours? We think we can define who we are. And so we come to the theme of identity. And we have so much pressure. So much pressure these days to define who we are, to, to be our authentic selves, to not accept any kind of guidance or authority over us, but, but to be whoever we want to be. And you know what? There's some really good things about that. There are some really wonderful things about the individualism of our culture and, and the freedom it gives us and, and the reality that we are much less stifled than many people have been throughout history and we have so many choices and so many good things. There's a lot of good there. But the flip side of that good is that we feel like we belong to ourselves. We feel like we are our own and we get to make up our own rules and, and play the game however we want. But when we, when we think that, when we believe that, when we live as if that's true, we're miscalibrated to reality and our lives will sooner or later blow up or turn into miserable blobs. That is where life is. And so we come to God's law, and God's law, God's law shows us the shape of life. God's law tells us what circumstances we need and, and who we need to be and how we need to be to live. God's law helps us calibrate to reality so that we do not explode or fall apart. And this is non-optional. This is not take it or leave it. God's law is a revelation to us. It is, it is an indication of what reality actually is. Reality has a structure to it. And if we do not calibrate correctly to that, then we will suffer. So Deuteronomy 5.1, let's put that back up on the screen again for a minute. Deuteronomy 5.1, Moses speaks to Israel, speaks to God's people and says, Hear, O Israel, the decrees and laws. And here, that first word in what Moses says is the right translation, but, but it has a little different nuance in Hebrew than what we have. We, when we hear, hear this, we hear, hear this, but that word actually is hear and obey. Do not just let this pass through your ears, but listen to it, receive it into your heart, and be transformed by it. Do this. Be this. And then it goes on and says, learn them and be sure to follow these laws. We are called not just to, to listen to God's law. We are called not just to consider God's law. We are told not just to, to really give some serious thought to what God says, but we are called to hear and to obey, to learn and to follow. And this is, this is God speaking specifically to his covenant people 
But this applies to everyone in the whole world. If we want life, we need to hear what the Lord has to say. If we want life, we have to learn and to follow Him. Now, in the Reformed Church, we talk about several uses of the law. We usually talk about three. Um, I'm only going to mention one today. If you're really desperate to know the others, catch me afterwards, wait a couple weeks, or you can Google three uses of the law. You can figure it out. We're only going to talk about one today, and that one is what is sometimes called the negative use of the law. And, and what God's law does, first of all, is show us our death in sin. God's law condemns all of us. God's law shows us that we are not calibrated to reality, and so we are headed for an explosion. And that's what we read here in Romans 7. And, and scholars debate when Paul is writing here in Romans 7, and he's talking about this, this struggle with sin and evil, and what I want to do, I can't do, and what I want, and I, oh, I know that, that. It's not the most clear passage Paul has ever or ever wrote in his life, but you get that sense of struggle, of just desperate, I know I'm not how I'm supposed to be, but I can't get there, and and sometimes I think I'm doing what's right, and then I realize that it's wrong, and sometimes I want to do it, and I can't do it, and and scholars debate if this is Paul talking about unbelievers, about pre-conversion people, or about post-conversion people, about believers, and I think it can be both. There are times, even for people who don't know Jesus, when they look at life and they say, it's not right and I can't get there. And there's times for us as believers when we say, the good that I want to do, the good that I want to do, I can't do it. I can't be that person that I know I should be. I can't do those things that I know I need to do. And at our most honest, we have to go on and say, and it's killing me. It's killing me. You probably remember the latest Titanic disaster from last year, and not, not the ship sinking last century, but, but last year a number of people go down on the Titan submersible, and they're basically tourists. They're going down, down to the very depths to look at the Titanic in person. And they go down, and, and apparently this has been done a number of times before, but they go down, and then the ship on the surface loses contact with them. And there's drama for a while as people desperately search. And, and then at the end of the search, they acknowledge that we pretty much knew from the beginning that what had happened is that that sub had imploded about that fast. Even before the people in it realized that anything was wrong, they were crushed to death. And then a number of experts speak up and say, you know, that submersible, it, it wasn't accredited. People hadn't certified that it could actually stand those depths. And, and it wasn't maintained. There wasn't the kind of oversight that these submersibles need. And, and in fact, it really wasn't designed in a way that was going to last. There was all these problems. This was inevitable. It was going to lead to death. And God's law comes and it tells us that the lives we live apart from Christ will lead to death. The identities that we construct kill us. And that is true of, of every culture. And, and on this Sanctity of Life Sunday, on this week where there was Martin Luther King Jr. Day, I want to focus on that for just a minute. And I know it's against the rules in one church to mention both of those days on one day, but we're going to do it. Well, the unborn in our culture, the unborn in our nation, in so many ways we treat them as if they're not real people. As if, as if they don't belong to the human race. And is that right? Is it right that, that those of us who have power over the vulnerable should dispose of them as we see fit? And what does it say about our culture if, 
if there are millions of people over the last decades, women and men, who have felt like their best or their only option was, was to get an abortion? What does that say about us as a culture of, of death if that's what people feel like is legitimately their best option? What does that say about us? And I, I think we've made a lot of progress in race relations, and we're not perfect, but I think we've made a lot of progress the last few decades, but, but we are becoming really tribal again. If you don't agree with everything about me, if you are not in this band, then nope. Do we treat our political enemies do we treat people who don't look like us, who don't act like us, who aren't from the same places as us? Do we treat them as fully human or, or do we treat them as, as not quite there? How do, we, how do we treat people? And how do we treat the old as culturally we more and more push them to the margins and act like their lives don't matter? And how about those with different disabilities as we, as we systematically weed them out through abortion and as we more and more push them to the margins? These do not say good things about our cultural life. And you know, we could pick any number of other things and we could find all kinds of ways in all of our lives, in our culture, that, that we think we're our own, that we think we can do whatever we want. And as we work that out, we actually see how that inevitably, inevitably leads to death. We really struggle we struggle to see all human beings as gifts from God. We really struggle to value all the life that God has created. And that is a sign, not just that things are wrong in how we act, but that, that on a deeper level, things are wrong in how we are. What we want to do, we can't do. The evil that we don't want to do, that we do. And I can, I can say this to you all day, but really what needs to happen for all of us is not for someone to tell us this, but, but for God's Holy Spirit to work in us, what we need is an act of God. And that's what we have. That's what we have. The Bible shows us that Jesus brings us back to life. And we so much need to hear this. We so, so, so much need to hear that Jesus brings us back to life. And you know, the temptation at a lot of points is, is to kind of step aside and say, okay, life isn't how we want it to be. Here's the five steps. Here's the seven mechanisms. Here's the three things you can do to make your life better. Here's the laws that you can follow. Here's the ways that you can perform. Here's the things that you can do, and then it will all be better. And that is a dead-end street. That leads us just to more death. If all we're working on is behavior modification, it's like we're, we're bringing a fish up from the bottom of the ocean, dropping it on a table and say, okay, work hard, buddy. Good luck with that. Or like we're telling all of us, go home and build a submarine out of what you have laying around in your garage and we're going to throw you in the ocean. And yeah, good luck with that. Do your best. It is utterly, utterly hopeless. Legalism is not the answer here. It's a temptation to say, well, there's all these broken things, but we can fix it if only we do enough. And no, we can't ever do enough. We can't do it. So what we need is not to work ourselves up and say, oh, I, I, I have the five steps. I, I can build a good submersible. No. No, what we need is to go to God with our hands open and say, God, I need you. I need you to transform my heart. I need your grace. 
And we need, to, we need to keep listening to the law, even if we have followed the Lord our whole lives, to be reminded of our sin and our wrongness. And we're, we're going to talk about this more in the next couple weeks, but, but here in Deuteronomy 5, God doesn't just lay down the laws and then say, you better follow it, good luck, bye. But what God gives us the law, the context in which God gives us the law is His covenant love. It is God caring for us. In Romans 7, Romans 7, as it speaks of the law, it wants to bring us to the bottom. It wants to bring us to that place where we despair, where we, where we resonate with Paul's description of how hard it is to do good and how it feels impossible. And then we come to verse 24. And this is where Romans wants to lead us. What a wretched man. What a wretched woman I am. What a wretch I am. The person I want to be, I'm not. The things I want to do, I can't. And even at my best, I still, I still have to face tomorrow. What a wretch I am. But then verse 25. Then verse 25. But thanks be to God. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. What wretches we all are and who will rescue us? Well, Jesus will. And Jesus gives us life. Jesus, Jesus recalibrates us internally through the power of the Spirit so that we can stand up to the pressures of life. Jesus gives us what we need so that no matter what comes, we don't blow up or turn into those emotional, mental, spiritual blobs. Or, or at least if we do, Jesus is there with us. And over time, the Lord promises that He will work out a total transformation for us. We are not stuck. We are not on our own. We are not just people who have to follow these rules or else. We are God's covenant people who Jesus died for, who Jesus is in the process of rescuing from death. There is this scene of trouble, and then Jesus steps in, and in Jesus we find the hope that we need. We need to hear. We need to hear the condemnation of the law. We need to hear that before we come to Jesus so we recognize the need for Jesus. And we need to hear it as we go through the Christian life. We need to hear it as we go through the Christian life so that we keep coming back to the Lord and so that we keep finding transformation. Imagine being at the bottom of the sea. Being at the bottom of the sea and how long would it take for us to die? A fraction of a second. All that weight would crush us. And that's, that's where we are spiritually. And it seems so often these days, this is a heavy time, and so that's where we are emotionally and mentally, and maybe even physically, that, that we're in a place that is simply not sustainable. In his book, I Am Not My Own, Alan Noble talks at great length about how we live in an inhumane society. We live in a time and place where the expectations put on us are impossible for anybody to meet. We live in a time and place where we are so crushed by so many things, and yet tomorrow comes with a greater weight of burden. We live in a place where we crush each other. And this, this is our life, stuck at the bottom of the ocean. But what if, what if we were prepared? What if we went there with the power of Jesus? What if we were ready for it? So the Titanic, the Titanic is about 12,000 feet down on the bottom of the ocean. 
But there's a much, much deeper place in the oceans of the world called the Mariana Trench. And there, Titanic is maybe 12,000 feet deep. If you go down to the very bottom of that trench, you are 35,000 feet deep. You are almost seven miles down below the surface of the ocean. And, and it is inconceivable to us how much weight and pressure there is there. But about 12 years ago, James Cameron, who's directed a lot of movies and is apparently kind of a science geek, he got a group together and they built, they built a submersible. And they built it right. They followed all the rules. They calibrated it according to all the things that they needed to get certified. They, they made sure they maintained it. And one day, James Cameron climbed into that submersible and he went down and down and down and down to 5 to 10 to 15 to 20 to 25 to 30 to 35,000 feet below the surface of the ocean. And then he came back up. And he came back up alive, not because of who he was, but because he was protected by that submersible. Jesus, don't take this too seriously, Jesus is our submersible. As Jesus brings us into himself, he sets us free from the crushing weight that we can't stand. As Jesus builds us more and more into union with him, well, more and more we come to this point where we ourselves because the Lord is remaking us, where we ourselves are able to take the pressures of life. And there's a sense where we participate in that, but, but the really deep, deep work is done by Jesus Christ. And so I want to invite you today, if you have never given your life to Jesus, but you feel crushed, well, climb, climb into the Lord. Step into his open arms. Receive him. And I want to invite all of us, and I know there are many of us today who feel like life is just beating us up, like it's hopeless and it's terrible and it's all dark and there is just no hope. I want to invite you not to put your hope in any earthly thing, but to look to Jesus, to recognize that you will never be able to do what you want to do, but in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ, you will be given a new life that is more than anything you have ever experienced, more than we can even understand. Step into Jesus, and no matter the depths, you will always be safe. Step into Jesus. Acknowledge that you belong to him. Acknowledge that you belong to him, and he will build you into somebody beyond what your wildest dreams are right now. Step into Jesus and find forever life. Please join me in prayer. Father, we confess that we do much that is wrong. So often, what we do is not what we want to do, and even what we want to do, we recognize is not right. And Father, so often, it's, it's not even about our specific sins, it's about our sinfulness. That when we are honest with ourselves, we recognize that we do not have the capacity always to discern right and wrong. We recognize that we continually break our relationship with you and fracture our relationships with each other and get crushed by what comes at us and what comes out of us. Father, what wretched people we are. What wretched people we are. Lord, help all of us to ask today, who will rescue us from this death? Who will rescue us? And Father, we give you thanks that Jesus has rescued your children. 
Father, we give you thanks that Jesus went down into the very depths of sin and death in order to free us from both our sins and our sinfulness. And Lord, we look forward with hope and expectation to the next life when you will, when you will heal and completely transform us. And we pray that right now in this life, even today, even today, renew our hope of that life we have in Christ. And even today, even today, transform us. Help us to take those steps that feel impossible to become more and more like Jesus, to live more and more in the power of your spirit. Lord, speak to each one of us and help us not just to hear you, but to hear, to listen, to learn, to follow, to come to life. We pray all this in your name. Amen.